0: Brethren, you are called to join Jesus Christ in ruling this world. This world absolutely cries out for the government of Christ, a good government, a kind government, a peaceable government, a fair government. Many articles have come out showing that the present presidential nominees are the least liked and the least respected in modern history. God is letting us get to the bottom of the barrel when you understand it. We need righteous leaders around the world. We find that people in China are oppressed. People in North Korea are oppressed. People in Russia are oppressed. All over the world we see dictators rising up. And then to the Muslim world, they're putting down their own people, torturing and killing people who disagree, constantly denigrating women and children and putting them down and humiliating them by the way they treat them. All over the world, governments are failing. In Brazil, they're about to impeach the president and kick her out. And other around, around the world are having great problems. England or Britain has exited the common market and apparently the EU is gradually coming apart. The banks are coming apart over there. Whole parts of our society are coming apart. Most of you know that if you read the world news. So what's the answer? There's only one real answer, and I think we know that. There's only one real genuine solution. If there is a real God, that God is going to intervene, and that great God is going to send Jesus Christ back to this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords, which He has said over and over and over in the Bible. But the thing you need to realize, every one of you in this room and you brethren around the world will hear it later, You need to prepare, I mean really prepare, not just to be a doorkeeper, not just to barely make it in by the skin of your teeth, but to be a part of Christ's team in ruling this world. You have got to learn to be a righteous, loyal, cooperative part of a team that Christ is going to use, a government of God a kingdom of God. And as Mr. Armstrong used to explain over and over again, the one God used more than any man for hundreds of years to bring us the truth, to put the truth together. He said, the whole thing, I can hear him say it now, he would hold the word whole, the whole thing is government. It is when you understand it from that point of view. So we need to really think about it. That is the only solution to the world's problems. And there's only one thing that can help straighten out the mess we have on earth today. Perhaps billions of years ago, two great beings were conferring together. They had all the power and the glory of the universe. But they decided together to reproduce themselves. And back in Genesis, you read about it. Turn with me back to the beginning. As Mr. Armstrong did, let's get to the beginning. I might say to all of you, brethren, you'll notice that I, of course, have various problems that I can't see as well. I'll have to maybe take my glasses over and get my notes better. I can't read my own writing anymore, which is understandable from two different points of view, and uh, I have problems. But I'm going to try to serve you and give you the truth of God as long as I can, and I'm sure God wants me to do that. The very beginning of the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's all they had around this globe. Water at that time. Then God said, let there be light. And He began to create the first day, the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day. And gradually after that division of time, He then created great sea creatures. In verse 21, and each one of them reproduced after their kind. And then He blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. So the evening and the morning of the fifth day, verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature, cattle, creeping thing, beasts, each according to its kind. Each creature reproduced according to its kind, not some other kind. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind. Then God said, Let us make man, mankind, After our kind. And when you read this context carefully, you can see that's exactly what God meant. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Right after saying he was going to create mankind after the God kind, he said, let them have dominion. What does dominion read? If you're not familiar with it, look it up. It means government. It means rule. It means control. Human beings were created by God to be rulers and were created by God in the image of God. The chimpanzees and the dolphins who are supposed to have the biggest brains of any creatures and all the other creatures, they don't create machines. They don't create automobiles. They don't create computers that can spew out billions of pieces of information. They don't have that kind of mind. Only man is created the image of God like the God kind to have creative imagination and knowledge and ability way above and beyond what any other creature. Because we're made after God's image in His kind to join Him and to join Christ in helping straighten out this mess on this earth. And you need to be thinking about that. Why am I here? Why has God called me now? Just to sort of drift along and be a weak member of the church to barely make it into God's kingdom by the skin of your teeth. No! You're called to join Christ and His ruling government to be a Secretary of the Interior, Secretary of the Treasury, or maybe Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, Assistant Secretary of Defense, or whatever it is, on God's team, and join a big group of human beings who are going to be made sons of God, full sons of God, and have authority over the earth. You've got to learn to think, to plan, to learn to make right decisions now. Learn to use your mind. Make right decisions now and ask God for wisdom. Ask God to give you multitude of counsel as it says over and over. Proverbs eleven fourteen tells us that in multitude of counsel learn to get counsel from different points of view to get wisdom and seek those things to prepare, to rule, to prepare to be a leader in God's government. So we're made in Christ's image and we're made to be like God. Male and female He created them Then God blessed them, verse 28, and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So the first direct command God gave mankind, men and women love each other and have lots of kids. (laughs) He wants us to do that in marriage, but God wants us to be fruitful. God wants us to multiply. He's not against love and marriage. He's not against sex. He created that. That's why we're made male and female for marriage. And Jesus said that back in Matthew 19. Yet the modern so-called progressives, they say you can decide to be a, a man if you're a woman. If you're a, a, a woman, you can decide to be a man. And some of these even women commentators got on the argument with these people and said, well, if I decide to be a frog, can I be considered a frog? <laughs> what are you going to consider me? I can consider, my, I can consider myself a man from outer space. Have you got to create uh, honor me as a man from outer space? Mankind has jumped the track. We're going into insanity. It is honestly, brethren, a form of insanity. I've written that article. I hope all of you have read it or will reread it. As you know what I wrote recently as the lead article in Tomorrow's World magazine. The whole idea about the alt- Satan's, it's called Satan's Alternative Universe. He's trying to twist mankind's mind around so we don't know whether we're men or women. We don't know our purpose in life. We don't know what we are. We don't know where we came from, why we're here, where we're going. Nothing. Satan has got a grip on modern society that is almost unbelievable. And even things we wouldn't have even talked about 15 or 20 years ago are underway right now. God's government is going to come and straighten it out. And you're going to have to be part of that if you're going to be in God's kingdom. Be fruitful and multiply and and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. So once again he says have dominion. Have rule. Have government. That's why we were born to be part of the God family. The ruling family. The governing family of the whole world. And eventually of the whole universe. So please understand that's why God has called you now. We're made in God's image to rule. Turn back to Matthew 23. What's the main message of Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the very beginning? You know what? But be sure you're familiar with it and think about it in this context. In Matthew, brethren, Matthew uh, at the very beginning in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew uh, chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Here's the beginning of Christ's gospel, the real message that Christ brought from God to mankind. Now Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And as Mr. Armstrong explained again and again, kingdom means government. I know you know that, yet think about it. The world doesn't like to put those things together. A kingdom is a government. He came preaching a government. And he, say, he was healing all kinds of sickness, showing the power of God over all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. When Christ comes back, there won't be very much need for doctors. Doctors can patch us up. God will still let them. I go set bones. Little kids will still have accidents. We'll have an occasional accident. But there'll be very need for doctors in that time. God will heal. The whole world will be a different place within a few years. And we're looking forward to that. Then his fame went out throughout the whole area. And they brought all these sick people. And he healed them. So he began to preach that message all over the Middle East, of course, all over Israel, as we should say. Then in Mark, turn with me now to the Gospel of Mark uh, and uh, chapter 1. Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Here's Mark's description of it. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. It shows how John the Baptist was beheaded, martyred, And in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. What was he preaching? Give your heart to me. Think sweet thoughts. No, he came preaching the good news of the kingdom or government of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, change, change your attitude, change your lethargy and believe the truth that you're put here on this earth to rule, repent, and believe the gospel. So that was Christ's message all the way through. And most of you know that, but we've got to review that and think about it, appreciate it in this context. Now let's turn to Matthew 19, if you would. Matthew chapter 19, brethren. And here we find Christ describing the reward of those who are His faithful servants. Matthew 19, He described how people are going to have to give up everything to be in the kingdom. Then in verse 27, Matthew 19:27, 27, and Peter entered and said, See, we have followed you, therefore what shall we have? So Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, the whole redoing of society, the time of restitution of all things, it says in Acts 3, verse 20, a whole different society a whole different dimension of existence when Christ comes back, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His kingdom, you who have followed Me, the apostles then and all true Christians eventually will have this same type of reward. You will be set on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And all through the Bible, that term judging means ruling. It means government. Most of you know that. So that was to be their reward. Then turn next to Luke chapter 19. Luke at this point, brethren. Luke 19, verse 11. Now, as they heard Jesus talk about these parables, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought, his disciples had been taught the Jewish idea that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. It was the kingdom of God, a warm feeling in your heart, like John Wesley thought the founder of Methodism. No. No. The kingdom of God is a government. They thought that Christ was the coming Messiah was to set up a government in Israel and kick the Romans out and become a world government. No, it wasn't God's time for that yet. They thought that. Therefore, Jesus said, "A certain nobleman went to a far country to receive a kingdom, a government, in return. So he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas. This is a, a monetary fund. Ten, let's say, ten thousand dollars." whatever it would equal at that time. And he said, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, said a delegation after him, said, "We Will not have this man to reign over us? And it came to pass, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called, that he might know how much he man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your money has earned ten miners." He'd increase what God gave him ten times. He had grown in grace and in knowledge. He had grown in spiritual strength and capacity. He had overcome. He was an overcomer. Then, then the second came, and he said to him, "This first was well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little. Have authority over what? Ten cities." government over cities and nations on this earth and then the second came master your money has earned five minas, and he said likewise you also be over five cities so he was given a reward based upon how much he'd grown how much he'd overcome so to speak when you understand this parable and i think most of you can see it's very clear for those who want to understand were to grow spiritually were to be overcomers we're to let Christ live His life in us and we're to show God that we're ready to be kings and priests in His coming government. That's why we're here. The Bible makes that clear over and over again. Now let's turn, brethren, to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 at this point, And a very famous scripture, of course, to all of us, I hope. Verse 26. He who overcomes... Not he who tries to drift down the road and just take it easy and have fun and not grow and not overcome. He who drives himself, who studies this book, who feeds on Christ, who prays, who overcomes his human nature, overcomes his bad habits, overcomes his tendency to slide, to take it easy, to along with this world. If you love this world, you do not love God. And God makes that very clear. He says, to he who overcomes and keeps my works, with to him I will give power over the nations. What rule? Power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as I've explained, I used to wonder why God said a rod of iron. But when you understand how rotten this world is, even after Christ first starts to come and pour out his plagues on the earth, what are they going to do? They're going to curse God. They're going to curse God, even as He pours down hundred-pound hailstones. Wow! People are going to be hard-headed. Re- you read that. Most of you know that. The Book of Revelation. People don't want to listen. They want to go their own way. They want to just drift. They don't want to. Pre- they want to pretend there's no real God. God's going to have to punish them to shake them to the depths of their being to wake up. Then they'll finally listen. So we've got to be prepared to be firm but fair and loving, but my dad, when I was a real bad little boy at about age 4 or 5 or 6, I one time kicked him in the shin for no reason until his shin was bleeding, and he took me down to the basement with an ironing cord. I'll never forget that, and I got the biggest whipping of my life. I deserved it, and I remember yelling, I'll be good, I'll be good, I'll be good, and I was good for two or three days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I started back to my old ways again, like most human beings. But it, the less was burned into my brain, burned into my rear end, so to speak. But it helped wake me up, and I had to be more careful from then on. God is going to have to do that to this world. I hope He doesn't have to do it to most of you to wake you up. We've got to wake up, brethren. Many of us are drifting along. We're lackadaisical. We tend to be laid as sin if we're not careful because this whole church age is just going that way as a whole. Don't let it happen to you. We've got to be prepared to rule, to overcome. In chapter uh, 5 then, turn out of Revelation chapter 5, and then he says again what our job is. Here he describes in verse 9, the true saints of God. They sang a new song. What are the saints of God singing? Verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you, Christ, were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Sin is awful. It destroys mankind. When you start cheating on your wife, the waves spread out through her, her family, if you have children, it goes on and on. And even now, I'm dealing with people who have been hurt by such sins of others in the past. It's a horrible thing. Sin is awful. It hurts, it destroys, it makes people agonized. They can't sleep at night, breaks up families, breaks up home, breaks up human beings. God can't had Christ come and die. The second person the Godhead was willing to empty himself to die for you, to pay for your sins. And you've got to appreciate that forever and be willing to get out of it. Quit sinning. Stop it. Beg God for strength to help you overcome. So it shows how Christ was slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, His shed blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. When God does something, He just He's done it. When He decides it's as good as done, His plan is already set. Those who are willing, those who really grow, those who overcome, it's done. In His plan, He has made us already. Kings and priests. That's why we're called now to be kings and to be priests, to be teachers. Because we're going to rule and we're going to teach just like Moses was the ruler, but he also was the teacher of ancient Israel. It's a combination in in God's kingdom, God's coming government. You've made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign. Not up in heaven. We shall reign on the earth. So I think most of you know that, but let's be sure we review those Scriptures and really understand. Now let's turn back to Revelation chapter 21, if you would. Revelation. Revelation at this point, chapter 21. And here it is again. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 7. He who overcomes, not he who just barely sits in churches and barely survives, and drifts along, floats along. Around. He's not going to float into heaven, no. He who overcomes will inherit all things. In other words, the entire universe. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Every one of us, we're all men and women, we're called sons of daughters, but the masculine dominates, and whom are made spirit beings, We will be neither male nor female, but we will be called sons primarily. You will be my son. But the cowardly, are you afraid of this world? Are you afraid of the devil? Are you afraid of going against this world and all your friends and society and the people you work with? The cowardly, the unbelieving, you're not willing to believe, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, those who commit fornication and adultery, Those who watch dirty movies, who watch dirty things on the internet and so on. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. God hates liars. He just hates that. people. If if a person is a liar, then he says, I'm sorry, it's terrible. You don't know whether he means it or not. You have to let him prove himself for months or years till you know he's not lying once again. That's why God hates liars. All liars shall not... He'll be in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, which is the second death. No, you've got to be an overcomer. You dare not be a coward. You dare not be an unbeliever. You've got to fight the good fight of faith by faith like the Apostle Paul did and grow and show God that you want to be in His kingdom. You want to be in His family so much you can taste it. You're willing to go all out. You're willing to drive yourself as the Apostle Paul said. Each of us have got to do that. Now let's turn, brethren, to chapter uh, uh, 6 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. He says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You're not going to be in God's kingdom if you're unrighteous. You've got to be righteous. God has got to be, have people who are led by God's Spirit, who are going to be have the fear of God, the awe of God. They're going to be fair. They're going to judge God and judge God's people in a way that's based on God's Word. They're going to do it His way. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those who have sex before marriage... People all over the world are doing that. They show all these things on Hollywood movies. Constantly pumps into the minds of you young kids around the world. They'll see this stuff. It can mess your mind up. You see all these television shows of young men and women just living together. Or a young man just rips into the girl's apartment. And the indication is he stays all night. Just like that's normal. That is not normal. When I grew up, that was just not the case at all. People did not do that at all. They were disgraced if they do that. Now we're going to take that kind of thing for granted. God doesn't take it for granted. God created sex as part of marriage. It's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. It's creating a sacred thing, a holy thing. Don't make it cheap. If you drag it through the cesspool, if you drag it through the sewer pipe, it stinks when it comes out on the other end of the sewer pipe. Don't do that. It's neither fornicator's nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those who cheat on their mates, nor homosexuals. Here it is in the New Testament. God is not going to let homosexuals in the kingdom. Well, some of you are taught, and some of you young kids out there, again, read and see this stuff all the time. Well, God's not fair, because people are born homosexual. No, they're not homosexuals. They're not born that way, I mean. God did not create anyone that way. Why don't we have more compassion? Why aren't we out trying to help all of these people that are born transgender? Why? Because there aren't any. There aren't any! Get it through your heads, you young people. There aren't any people that are born transgender. Dr. McHugh, who was chief of psychology at the uh, psychiatry John Hopkins says they're not born that way. Many others from different backgrounds have joined in. Psychologists and psychiatrists who studied this. They're not born that way. They become that way. And this society under the influence of Satan the devil as part of Satan's alternative universe are trying to make people think they're born that way. They are not born that way. That's a lie. You are not born homosexual. You are not born an alcoholic. You are not born transgender. You're not born a child molester. You're not born anything like that. God will not permit you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with every transgression. You're not. God is not the author of sin. All these statements in the Bible. You're not born that way. Men become that way. They become that way out of the influence of Satan, the devil. So you're not born that way. So neither fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, or sodomites are not going to be in the kingdom of God. For nor thieves, governess, drunkards, people who are drinking too much all the time, revilers, those who put down God, those who put down God's true ministers, those who make fun of the truth, revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. They won't be in the kingdom of God. Why? They can't be there. How could they be rulers and kings helping people learn the right way until they have surrendered themselves? Totally surrendered, repented, had been cleaned up. But Paul says, such were some of you. Yes, many of you have been things like that in the past. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. So God cleans us up and scrubs us out. He can help every one of us be different if we want to. If we cry out to God, say, God, help me. Clean me up and scrub me out. Help me to overcome. Help me to grow. I mean it. I want to be in your kingdom so bad I can taste it. I want to be alive. I want to live forever. I want to fulfill the purpose of which you've made me. Help me. Strengthen me. Guide me. Send Christ to live within me. And if you live that way and cry out to God and study and pray and ask God for help, He will give you that help. He is a merciful Father. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We're the ones who forsake Him. So we really want to understand. Let's turn now, brethren, back to chapter 1. I mean, verse 1 here. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Here the Apostle Paul talks about government directly. Dare any of you, you brethren in the church, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He's telling the brethren back then, which applies to us, how dare you go down the street and file a lawsuit against others in the church? How dare you do that and claim to be a Christian? We know that's wrong, terribly wrong. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? We're called to rule this world under Christ. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Why can't you trust Christ working through the faithful ministers that you've seen? Yes, you'd need to be sure where Christ is working. You need to find the church that is preaching the full truth more than any other church on earth. Where is that church that's preaching more of the truth that does not watered down the basic things as much as others? Where is the church that's doing the work of God, secondly, getting the message out more powerfully than any other church of the God now? Where is that church? Thirdly, where is the church that teaches and practices the government of God more perfectly? Does anyone do any of these things perfectly? No. But where is the church that does it more perfectly? Most of you know that or you would not be here. We're doing those things, brethren. I've led to lay down my life for the last 64 years in God's work full time to help get that message out. I began to preach in 1952 after I graduated I raised up the Church of God in San Diego in September of that year and preached down there the truth of God over and over again, all these things. I've been at it for 64 years. I've made hundreds of mistakes like Mr. Armstrong said he did. But I've tried to be faithful to God's truth. And I will die being that way with God's help. I will not give it up. And I hope you will not give it up. And I will hope none of you will let little tiny things, some disagreement with some brother, upset you or cause you to turn aside. God calls the weak of the world. Does this brother have a problem? This brother, oh, Of course they do. They're human. Everyone is human. Get over it. See the big picture. Find where God's true church is and learn to be part of that church. Part of the team that Christ is preparing to join him as his assistants at ruling this world. Be a cooperative minister member of that team when the quarterback says, we're going to play K-19 and the blocking backs are to run here and open a hole to so the runner. The blocking backs had better do that. Otherwise, we're going to lose the game. You've got to play as a team. You've got to cooperate within God's law. If we tell you to do something directly contrary to God's law, go to the minister and talk about it. If he won't listen, go to the regional pastor. Go to the, go then come to headquarters. We will listen. But you'd better be sure you're right, of course. We're not going to get mad if you come, as long as you come in the right spirit. But be willing to know that Christ is the head of the church. He has a church on this earth, and He's guiding that church. And that church is the main church He's going to be using to do His work in tomorrow's world. That's the church that is practicing His form of government and teaching that form of government today. You better think that through and pray about it and meditate about it. It is the church Christ is using. He says, do you not know that we shall judge angels or even going to judge the angelic hosts? Great, powerful beings, far more powerful. There are many angels around this room because there are so many brethren here right now. We are preparing to judge angels. How much more things to pertain to this life. He says, if you then have judges, judgments, Concerning things of this life, why do you appoint, he's saying, why would you go outside the church? Why would you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? People that don't even know the truth, many of them. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? No, we have very dedicated ministers right here. With Mr. Ames, Dr. Waneo, now Mr. Weston, Mr. Wakefield, Mr. Rod McNair, your associate pastor, the other associate pastor, Mr. Uh, Mike DeSimone, and so many others right here. They're dedicated men. They're not perfect, but they're led by God's Spirit. They are filled with and led by God's Spirit. They can help you sort things out. Try to appreciate that. Go there. Don't go to some lawyer or some outside judge. Trust Christ to guide His government, which He will. Save you lots of time and trouble and you'll be preparing to trust Christ. To trust Christ and to do it God's way. Then I want to have you turn at this point to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, brethren. And here, again, a familiar Scripture I trust to many. He said in verse 15, Matthew 18:15. If your brother sins against you, what do you do? Do you go down the hall, down the street and get a worldly lawyer and go to a worldly judge? You may be even an atheist or an agnostic or hates God. If your brother sins to you, go and tell him his fault. A lot of you don't do that. Don't go tell someone else. Tell him you've offended me. You're flirting with my wife. You're drinking and yelling at night next door in the apartment next door and offending me and I can't take it anymore. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, if he's willing to listen, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two. Don't just assume that he's got to hear you. Take one or two. I would say basically two in our society. Don't just take your best buddies. He'll see through that. Try to get people that are neutral. Leading men in the church. Take with you one or two witnesses that in the mouth of every witnesses every word may be established. But if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. You're not to ask Mr. DeSimone or Mr. McNair, can I make the announcements today? No. You tell it to the leaders and let them then handle it. Tell it to the leaders in the church, which was always what was practiced in the New Testament. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, if he will not submit to government, if he consists on being a hard head, I'm a lone wolf. I decide what's right and wrong. I do my own thing. If you do your own thing all the time, if you're a lone wolf, Christ can't use you and He will not use you as part of His team. You're not part of His team. You have not learned to submit to the government of God you have not learned to look to Christ as the head of His government, even in the church. Be willing to do it that way. Know that Christ is leading overall, and it's much better than any other way. So tell it to the church. But he refuses to hear the church. Let him be as a heathen and a tax collector. We don't put him in a rack and torture him. We don't put him in a pit with wild animals like the Roman Empire did. We We just turn him loose in the North Carolina sunshine And he can go do his own thing. If he just wants to do his own thing, okay, let him do his own thing. But let him stay out of the church and quit spreading that kind of attitude. That attitude spreads. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. God tells us to get rid of it. Put them out. Let him be like a publican and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth. who? The true ministers of God that God is using whatever you you have to make binding decisions acting for Christ as His servants. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose or permit on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two or three of you on earth agree concerning anything they ask it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name Now we sometimes use that if you and your family on a trip and you just have your private Bible study in a motel somewhere in Yellowstone Park, you don't have a church, Christ will be there. Yes, He'll be there, but that's not what this Scripture is about. This Scripture is about the leaders in the church making binding decisions. Binding decisions in the name of Christ. And Christ is there. The church has had many binding decisions, traditions of the church, or binding decisions based on problems. And God tells us in the Bible, respect that. Look to Christ as a leader. Respect that and know that He's in charge of these things overall. Turn back to chapter 16 now. Matthew chapter 16. And let's begin in verse 15. Matthew 16, verse 15. They were saying Christ was Jeremiah or John the Baptist. And He asked, Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, Matthew 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the Christ, the anointed one, the coming Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. God revealed this so you could understand it. And I say to you that 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 you are Peter. And in the Greek here, oh, most of you know this, but look it up. Look it up in a commentary, an in the Bible. You are Petra, you are Petros. The Greek word here is the diminutive form, P E T R O S. It means a small, small rock or stone, a small rock. And upon this rock, here a different word is used, Petra, P E T R A, meaning a massive stone, a foundation stone, a whole rock mountain. Upon this massive stone, I will build my church. Not the Church of England, not the Lutheran Church named after Martin Luther, not the Methodist Church named after John Wesley's methodical habits. No, Christ's church. Christ is God. It's God's church. I will build my church, and the gates of the grave will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. He later extended that to the apostles, as we saw in chapter 18, where they were to make binding decisions too. I will extend to you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Christ guided His church that way. He tells us to look to the church and He's in charge. He will lead in those decisions. Let's turn at this point back to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 19. Second Chronicles, brethren, in your Bible. Turn to see the mind of God. This book is the revelation of the mind of God, the way God thinks, the way God is. Get it, believe it, if you want to be in eternal life. Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles, I mean, chapter 19, and here it's talking about Jehoshaphat, that righteous king, and it says he talked about some mistakes he made in the first couple of verses, but in verse three, Second chronicles 19 verse 3 nevertheless good things are found in you and that you have removed the wooden images and have prepared your heart to seek god that's something you'd better do brethren every true servant of god i've ever known that has accomplished anything has gone through a time when he's had to seek god god doesn't always come looking for you like a lonely hound dog You better learn to look to God. Ask God for help. Devote yourself to a time of special fast and prayer, Bible study, meditation, and crying out to God, Help me. Give me understanding. Give me strength. Jehoshaphat prepared his heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem. He went out among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to God. They'd been way off from God. He began to bring them back to the ways of God. And then he sat to judge in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. I'm sorry, he set judges. Who were these? They were rulers. They were the ones that made the decisions. He set judges all through the cities. And he said to them, Take heed, verse 6, that you, what you're doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the eternal. You're not judging for human beings. You're judging for God, the ever-living One who is with you in the judgment. God put that in the Bible so we can understand. Christ, the eternal God, the the Lord God of the armies of Israel, He was the God of Israel. He would be with them in the judgment. Even these carnal judges, they weren't converted, but He would guide them if they tried to do it His way. How much more will God be with men like Mr. Weston and Mr. Ames and Dr. O'Neill and Mr. McNair and all the rest of us if we try to do it God's way and have His Holy Spirit. Think about it. Are we perfect? No. But Christ is alive. He's alive. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ will be with us in the judgment. It's telling us that directly. So we'd better be sure. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord have the awe of God that God is alive and God's in charge be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor partiality, nor taking of bribes. When we're making judgment, we must not be prepared to back up if some man seems very important or upset or has money or something. We must not do that. I always remember, brethren, on a baptizing tour years ago, when I'm talking way back in the 1950s, when we baptized this woman And last time I knew she was still alive, but she may not be now. And her son came in the church decades later. And I know him. I better not mention the name. But his father was along with his mother in a great big Cadillac. And he came with his wife to be baptized. And she was very humble. She was ready to be baptized. But he wasn't. And he was a big shot. We could see that. He kind of talked about how wealthy he was and successful, bragged a little bit along the way. He was no more ready to repent than a jackrabbit or a spider. He was smoking, very arrogant, and so I did not baptize him. I I said, no, you'd better wait. Study these booklets. Try to be willing to really repent and come to God as a little child in repentance. He got all mad. He says, well, I've sent Herbert all this money. And later, after we left him, he telegraphed. That was the way to go back then. They didn't have internet. Telegram was a very important message. If you got to telegraph that, usually a man was pretty serious. He had money. He telegraphed Mr. Herbert Armstrong saying, this Rod Meredith of yours will not baptize me. And Mr. Armstrong called me on the phone. I told him about the man's arrogance. He was smoking, cussing, arrogant, a jackass in a human sense. He said, well, Rod, you did the right thing. He probably won't send us any money for a while, but that's too bad. We can't be guided by that. We have got to judge in the fear of God. We've got to do it God's way. And all of you elders and ministers out there, remember that. We must not back up or be impartial or be bought off by anything. Do not have the fear of man, but the fear of God. And we've got to do it God's way in the fear of God. Now, brethren let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 in your New Testament. Here God tells us, describing Jesus Christ in chapter 1, verse 21, how God put Christ far above all principality, power, might, dominion. Verse 21, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Christ has given all authority and all power, glory, from God the Father, And he, God, put all things under his Christ's feet. Christ is in total charge and gave him Christ to be the head over all things of the church. Christ is not dead. Brethren, understand this, for all of you here and around the world. Christ is alive. He's right here, right now in this meeting. He's speaking through me to you, and you need to get it. You need to get it and respond. Christ is alive. So he tells us to respect that government that he has in his church. He's alive. He gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He's head of church administration. He's head of editorial. He's head of internet. He's head of television. He's head of every aspect of the church. He's overall in charge. The church, verse 23, which is his body. When Christ was on earth, He had two hands and two feet. Now we are His hands and feet. We are His body. And Christ works through us, guides us, uses us to do His work today. The church is His body. The fullness of all uh, fills all. So we're to understand that Christ is alive and he, he is in charge of the church. He is the living head. He's not a dead head. He's the living head of the church of God And we've got to really deeply, profoundly understand that and respect that. And brethren, that's, I'm not giving this sermon for this purpose, but I'd hope all of you, and I think all of you understand already. Christ, Jesus Christ, the living head of the church, whom I've tried to serve and walk with now for nearly 67 years as I came to Ambassador College 67 years ago. Christ has led me, as I get older, And my eyes get worse, and my ears get worse, and my voice is more croaky, perhaps. I don't have the physical strength that I used to. So I've appointed, with the direction of Jesus Christ, Mr. Gerald Weston, to be my successor. We're working with him, talking with him nearly every day. I've known Mr. Weston and his wife for 51 years. I've seen how they were dedicated as field ministers all over the United States. They were dedicated for about eight or ten years in Kansas City. Then later, during that time, made a regional pastor over the whole area with churches all over in the whole Kansas City area. All the ministers there give him a good report. I've talked to many of them. They know that. Never had some big problem. Always, always dedicated. He is a man who's ten, he's fifteen and a half years younger than me. Nine and a half years younger than Mr. Ames. He's younger, he's alert, he's in good health, and he is very experienced. He is one who is willing to understand problems. He will see through problems and subterfuge and situations, and he's willing to confront those problems and deal with those problems. He's willing to do it, but he's always trying to be fair. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But he will be the next leader under Jesus Christ. And God has used me to direct this work now as you know, the global and now living Church of God for 23 and a half years, and Christ has guided me as the human leader, and I'm still the presiding evangelist until I die. But after I die, or am totally incapacitated, Mr. Weston would take over. And I hope every one of you will deeply respect that, honor that, give him the same loyalty you have me, and maybe even more, honor him, and know that Christ is in charge, and he will guide this, of course, And we deeply need to understand that. Now I want to turn back here to Colossians, if you would. Colossians chapter 2. Turn at this point a little further back in your New Testament to Colossians chapter 2. And let's start at Colossians 1, just one verse here to help prove something. Colossians 1 and verse 18. Here it speaks of Christ. He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. So God tells us Christ is the head. Like I said, Ephesians 1:22, Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So Christ is alive. He is the head of the body. And the Greek word there is soma. It means, it means body. And if Christ is alive. He's head of the body. That same word is lived over in chapter 2. That's the reason I'm reading this first. Now let's turn to chapter 2 and speaking of the, the Colossian Christians who were Gentile. They were not Jews, most of them. It was a very Gentile religion where they got all mixed up in human philosophy. But he says in verse 13, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, "...you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision..." So they were not Jews, they were Gentiles the uncircumcised of your flesh. He's made a life together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is one of the favorite Protestant verses to try to say God's law was done away. No, God's law was not done away. Christ was killed to pay the penalty of our sins. So notice what it says. He has made him alive together, having forgiven you, having wiped out. And the Greek word here is talking about a note of guilt, a note of debt, a certificate of debt, or it can be translated a note of guilt. What was nailed to that cross was the record of our, your sins and my sins. That's what was nailed to that cross, the physical body of Jesus of Nazareth and the record of our sins. Our sins were nailed to the cross. Not God's law. God's law was never nailed to any cross. The thing that was nailed to the cross was a record of our sins. Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. He was resurrected from the dead. They thought they'd beat Him. They did not. He came right up out of that grave. Therefore, let no one judge you. Don't let any human try to tell you what to do. Regarding eating or drinking, as normally translated, or, or regarding a festival, a new moon, or sabbath. Festival obviously means a holy day. It's talking about the Sabbath beside that. So this talking here, don't let any man judge you regarding eating or drinking on the festivals and God's holy days or new moons or Sabbaths. Why? Because the Gentiles who had never kept those before Now they were in God's church, so this is not a passage against God's law. It's showing the Gentiles that they were keeping God's law. They were keeping the Sabbaths. They were keeping God's holy days, and they weren't to let any man say, you can't do this or that, you're not to drink liquor, you know, but God says you can enjoy wine and so on at the Feast of Tabernacles, for instance. Don't let any man judge you about these things, which, about the holy days, which are a shadow of things to come. Yes, the holy days and the new moons are a shadow of things to come. The Passover picture Christ's future sacrifice, Pentecost pictures the New Testament church coming out, trumpets pictures the coming alarm of war, atonement pictures Satan being put in the bottomless pit, the feast of tabernacles pictures Christ's kingdom on the earth, the coming government of God over the whole earth, and the great white throne judgment. They're all picturing things to come. The holy days. So they were keeping those holy days. They're a picture of things to come. Don't let any man judge you how you eat and drink on these festivals which were a shadow of things to come. But who do you let to judge you? But the substance is of Christ. And the Greek translators here did not know God. They're carnal. They're Catholics and Protestants. They don't mean to be mean. They just don't get it. What is the Greek word used here? Soma. The same word exactly that's used back in chapter 1, verse 18. Christ is the head of the body, the church. So let the church, not substance, but the body of Christ judge you. Let the church judge you. Again, brethren, the church is supposed to make binding decisions. And we have done that. We have done that. Often we've had to make decisions about divorce and remarriage. We've had to make decisions about certain things that are not right. We have made binding decisions. Mr. Herbert Armstrong, working with many of us leaders in the early days, made a decision about makeup that changed it back with our input because he'd already made it the first place and allowed women to wear makeup. And then, of course, we, we uh, also, under Christ's direction, we have decided things about, uh, uh, for instance, women should not wear short skirts. We've decided that smoking is not good. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not smoke. It's not the same level as God's Ten Commandments, but it's a basic tradition of the church that should be followed, but should be followed, but it's not of the same level as direct sin, of course, unless people do it in direct rebellion. So we often tell women they can wear makeup, but they're to wear it in moderation. They can wear swimsuits, but they're to wear them modestly. It's based upon how God guides the church in those decisions. And then uh, going ahead here, in 1 Corinthians 11, turn to 1 Corinthians 11, if you would. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Imitate me just as I imitate Christ were to follow, were to imitate Christ in every part of our lives. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. This is first Corinthians eleven verse two. Remember me in all things and keep the traditions. There were traditions that God said through Paul in the Bible. The Bible is the revelation of God. Keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. One of the traditions is that man is the head of the family. The modern women livers don't like that, but that's part of God's law, even from the very beginning. And I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So he shows that is a church tradition. And down here in verse 7, he shows a woman ought to have a covering on her head. Long hair is her glory. Long hair is her covering That's a tradition of God's church to show that a woman is willing to take the place in society that God wants her to do and we're to follow those traditions. He says, if anyone wants to argue, verse 16, if anyone wants to be contentious, we have, or the Greek means recognize. We don't recognize any other custom nor do the churches of God. Now, I'm giving these instructions. I do not praise you that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Some of them were getting drunk at the Passover. They were misusing that. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. So God allowed that. There are divisions, even in the apostolic church. And I in part believe it. For there must also be factions. God says, I'm going to allow factions develop in the church among you. And in part, I believe it. For there, verse 19, must also be factions among you, that those who are approved among you may be recognized. So God is making people kind of point out who they are. If they're troublemakers, if they're divisive, if they will not go along with the church, then it will show. And they'll either leave the church, be pushed out, or be forced out by disfellowship. God is sorting us out bit by bit. God help you to respect that. Christ is in charge over all of those things and we deeply understand it. I would say this, brethren. God, and you read the Bible, is very clear when you read the example back in Numbers chapter 16 of Korah and many others like that. God was far more harsh in the way He guided His servants to deal with rebellion. Anyone who causes division or rebellion was dealt with always. Far more harshly than those who had a little weakness. Those who drank a little bit or smoked a little bit. Mr. Armstrong himself used to smoke. And he smoked some even after he was converted. He's told us a number of times. And he used to allow people in the church who smoked for a while until they overcome. I remember my uncle, Dr. C. Paul Meredith, who wrote the whole correspondence course. All 58 lessons with the help of others. But he wrote wrote most of it. He was in the church for months. And finally talked to Mr. Armstrong and told him, well, he says, I just don't smoke cigarettes, but I enjoy a good cigar once or twice a week. And Mr. Armstrong told him, and my uncle told me, and asked Mr. Armstrong about it, and he he affirmed that. He said, well, that's not a serious thing. It's just a physical thing. He didn't put him out. He said, it's just a matter of, of what's best for the body and how you glorify God in your body. Those are not major things. Nevertheless, you should try to follow the traditions of the church. But don't make a mountain out of a molehill If some new brother comes in and has a problem with smoking or has a problem with something. It's not like rebellion. Rebellion is an awful lot worse. A lot worse. God hates that. That's what's going to divide the whole church and even overthrow the work. So God allows for human weakness. That doesn't mean they're to keep on forever at all. But it does show their attitude is right. They can be worked with. And we should recognize the difference between the two extremes. Then let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 at this point. Chapter 5. And I want to give the example here of Christ guiding the Apostle Paul in judging. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, fornication or sexual immorality, and such is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. He puts it that way, not his mother, but apparently a man was having sex with his stepmother, his own stepmother, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he was done this deed and might be taken away from you. You ought to be sorrowing, repenting, fasting, asking God with all your heart to clean up the church. For I indeed, as absent flesh but present in spirit, have already judged Yes, sometimes the human leader of the church has to judge asking God for guidance. I have judged as though I were present concerning this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to make decisions in the name of Christ by the authority of Christ, he said. When you're gathered together along with my spirit, my attitude, my decision, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. If a person is doing something that awful, Paul deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. God may strike him with cancer. God may strike him with something horrible. Mr. Armstrong described years. Some of you read it. I think it's in his autobiography. There were three men that opposed him terribly in the early part of this work. Tried to overthrow him. All three of those men met a very bad death. They really did. A very bad death. And God took care of it for Mr. Armstrong. He didn't understand church government back then, but God, he did ask God to guide him and deliver him, and God did. So he said, Turn them over to the destruction of the flesh that his spirit, his, his character, his attitude may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Finally, God will deliver him, perhaps in the great white throne judgment. Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If you leave wrong attitudes in there, rebellion. I don't agree with the church. I'm a lone wolf. I'm the one that decides what is right and wrong. I'm going to do it my way. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That whole attitude spreads and spreads. It will destroy the church if you let it keep on. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new leaven since you are truly unleavened. They were unleavened physically at that time when Paul wrote this, as I've explained, but not spiritually, because Paul, this is one of the strongest, most corrective letters in all the Bible. They were getting drunk at the Passover. They were going to law with, with, with believers in the church. They were having the wrong use of tongues. Just one thing after the other, Paul had to correct them. They were unleavened physically, but not spiritually. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast. What feast? The feast of my living bread. A command, a new custom command to a Gentile church. The Corinthians were pagans or had been. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven. No, let's put out the old leaven. But the main thing is to put out this attitude. The main thing is to put out rebellion. The main thing is to put out self-will. The main thing is to put out sin. So not with the old leaven, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we're to keep the leaven, the feast of unleavened bread spiritually with God's help and learn the spiritual meaning of it. Now, let's turn at this point to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. 2 Thessalonians, if you would. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15. He says here, verse 14, He called you by our gospel. How are you called? By hearing the truth for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, verse 15, stand fast and hold the traditions. Here it is again. He commands the church, keep the traditions, which you were called taught, whether by word or by epistle. So we're to keep the traditions of the church. That's a New Testament command, as I've said. One tradition of the church. Smoky is not mentioned in the Bible, but God uh, drunkenness does. Heavy drinking is condemned in the Bible. But God didn't mention everything. So Mr. Armstrong saw that smoking was harmful to the body. He made it a church tradition that we're not to smoke. But again, he never put that on the same level as adultery or murder. But keep the traditions. Follow the traditions. Honor what Christ has done through His church. And God tells us to do that if we're going to grow. If we're going to be real leaders in the world tomorrow, we've got to respect that. We've got to follow what Christ has caused His leaders to do in the church in that way. And then we turn now, if you would, to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. And here we find something you're all familiar with, I'm sure, and should be. Romans chapter 16. The very last chapter of Romans. He says in verse 17. Romans 16, verse 17. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those And as the King James says, mark, note those, point them out. Mark those who cause divisions and offenses. Those who argue, who cause divisions, who try to get people whispering and whispering and just divide the church, which some have done right here. Mark those people, do it. Contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. How do you avoid them? Well, other scriptures show, like they did that that fornicator, put them out. They're not to be in the church. So you've got to do that. Mark them so people can avoid them and not be with them. Doesn't mean you hate them, but you don't have fellowship with them. You can say hello to them on the street or in the grocery store, but you don't sit down and have long talks with them anymore because they have shown rebellion. And you are not to be part of that. You're not to make them feel that nothing is wrong because something terrible is wrong. One of the main things in the Bible is loyalty. Are you loyal to God? Are you loyal to Jesus Christ? Are you loyal to the ones Christ is using or not? Where is your loyalty? If you're in a team, you better be loyal to that team. If you're training to be part of Christ's King, His government to rule the world, you must show your loyalty in every way by submitting to the government of God and really trying to honor God in all those ways that you possibly can. Remember, you learn to rule in God's kingdom, as a king or priest, by learning to practice God's government here and now, at the Feast of Tabernacles, we have deacons and deaconesses to show you where to sit, where to go at the meal time, where to park your car, where to do this or that. They're not perfect. We've had to get on to some of the super deacons in the past, as I've told you, who would tell some little old lady, you park way out there and not always have perfect wisdom. But in the meantime, you should submit to that and the government is not perfect, but it's a lot better than human government. We all learn. We learn and grow together by being part of a team. And Christ is the head of the team. And He will straighten that out. As He always has. I've been put down and harassed by some who are in God's leadership for a while. Every time God delivered me. Over and over again God delivered me. He always will. I learned lessons of humility, of patience, and so on, and of faith that Christ would take care of it. He will take care of it. You submit to His government, you put your trust in Christ, the living, active head of the church, and He will bless you for that. Show your loyalty to God. Show your loyalty to Christ's team. Show your loyalty to God's government every way you can. And God will bless you forever. Back in Titus chapter 1, turn to the book of Titus now. Titus chapter 1 He says in verse 4, To Titus, my true son in the common faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice he leaves out the Holy Spirit always because the Holy Spirit is not a person. For this reason, he tells Titus, verse 6, I left you in Crete, that great big island in the Mediterranean, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint... God's government does not involve voting. Some of the other churches have tried to call it balloting. They hate to use the word. They remember that God's apostle that taught them the truth. Most of them in these other churches wouldn't have even known about the Sabbath. They would have known about the holy days. They would have known anything except for one man. God used Herbert W. Armstrong. He taught them. He said, don't vote. Don't go that way. Don't politics. But they're doing it anyway. So he said, you do it by appointment. God guides those in authority. That's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in. If you know that God has used this work, that God has used me in spite of my human faults for 64 years full time to carry on the work, and I'm the only one at the original evangelist still living that Mr. Armstrong appointed and was with him in thousands of hours of meetings and so on to gain the wisdom. Maybe that's one reason God used me to raise up this work and we're carrying on that government. We're carrying on that work more powerfully than any other work today. So he said, appoint elders. Don't vote for them. Don't politic. Appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. What? Commanded? Yes, he commanded them. That's not wrong. He did it under Christ's leadership. If a man is blameless, not perfect, but the Greek word means above reproach. He sets a very good example. The husband of one wife having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. They're not to be perfect, but they're not to be troublemakers. For I, for a bishop or overseer must be above reproach as the steward of God, not self-willed. Notice the first thing he says, not self-willed. I have my idea. I'm going to do it. No. Uh, an elder ought to be submissive himself to learn to go along with the leadership in the church to honor that, to honor Christ's leadership. Not self-willed, as a steward of God. Not quick-tempered, nor given to wine. Not a wino. Not violent, not always looking for trouble. Not greedy for money, but hospitable. A lover of what is good. Good things, quality things. Sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word. A true elder, a leader in God's church is to hold fast the faithful word according to his own ideas. No, God makes it very plain here in many other places. The faithful word as he has been taught. We've had some elders who have their own ideas and they go right off. They have their own ideas. God, did Mr. Armstrong just come out of nowhere and learn all this stuff? No, no. God brought Mr. Armstrong into a church which had existed for hundreds of years, right down through Peter and James and John and Polycarp and Polycrates and Peter Waldo and right on over to this country, down through John James in England and Stephen Mumford over here and H, uh, Mr. different ones before Mr. Armstrong and finally Herbert W. Armstrong and right down through me. And our leaders here, God guided Mr. Armstrong. He, when he came into this hardest church, as he told many of us many times, he al- they already had many basic things straight. He didn't dig it all out of the Bible. They knew about the weekly Sabbath. They knew about the Ten Commandments. They knew that the kingdom of God was to be a government on the earth, not up in heaven, on the earth under Christ, as he said. They had the true gospel. Unlike the Adventists who thought you'd go to heaven, they had the true gospel, the gospel of the kingdom on the earth, on God's laws. They understood the Sabbath. They didn't understand the holy days, but they kept bits and pieces of them. It was in their literature. Mr. Armstrong had to put it together, but he learned many of the basic things from them. They already understood about clean and unclean meats and many of the things. He learned it from the traditions, from the practice of the true church of God, that Christ has guided through the ages. And so we have a church here where I've been taught directly hundreds of hours by the feet of Mr. Armstrong. And Mr. Weston got to know Mr. Armstrong and took classes under him some. And he learned from me and was in my classes. And I have taught most of the other leaders of this church, as you know, as Mr. Ames has said, I was his freshman Bible teacher. I taught these men freshman Bible, epistles of Paul, advanced public speaking, and homiletics. And they come right on down. They've learned. And as a church, we work together. We try to correct each other. We balance each other out. But we are the church of God to carry on the work of God, to carry on the government of God. And I hope all of you can appreciate that. We have a brotherly atmosphere, tremendous loyalty, because we don't have any dictators running around. I've not appointed myself an apostle. A couple of my former students suddenly decided they would be apostles or prophets. They're not. It's kind of a joke. They suddenly called themselves that. No one made them that. I'm still an evangelist because that's exactly what God's apostle Herbert Armstrong appointed me to be. Unless God shows great power and miracles, that's what I will continue to be. But I'm the presiding evangelist and God has used me and God has used Mr. Ames and Mr. Winnale and now Mr. Weston more and more has used him, of course, even longer than some of these men as he came in the church before many of them did too. So we're carrying on the work of God, and God will use us to teach His government. An elder has got to be not self-willed. He's got to be part of a team. Now let's turn to Revelation chapter 3, if you would, brethren. Revelation chapter 3, and beginning in verse 7. In Revelation chapter 3, it's been describing this artist church as weak. He says, you have the name of God, but you are dead. But in Revelation 3 and verse 7 to the church of Philadelphia, right? These things says He who is holy, He who is true. God teaches the truth. He who has the key of David. And I've explained in sermons and articles the key of David has primarily to do with government because David was the main benchmark. He's the one who's to be over all of Israel and the world tomorrow. The knowledge of right government He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Christ opens the door. I know your works, but I have set before you an open door, a way to preach the truth, and no one can shut it. You have a little strength. We're carrying on that work the best we can and have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of these pagan churches who say they're Christians, but they're not. I'll make them come and worship before you because, verse 10, You have kept my command. Do that, brethren. Never give up. Never turn aside. You've kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. I'm going to keep you, if you're willing to do this, from the great tribulation, the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world. That awful tribulation is building right now. I'll keep you from that if you're faithful to persevere in the right way. Put a clump on the whole world to test those as well on the earth. Behold, I come quickly, and humanly speaking, it's going to be very quick as far as God counts time. Christ may be on this earth within the next 12 to 20 years. It's going to go by pretty fast from now on. Things are speeding up. Hold fast that you have; that no man take your crown. Don't give it up. Don't turn aside. He who overcomes, you've got to overcome though, Don't take it easy. Go all out to be a king or priest in God's kingdom, a leader, not just on the fringe, but in the middle of God's church, a leader that's cooperative, part of the team, part of the active part of doing the work as best you can. He who overcomes, I will make him a ruler, a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God in the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven for my God, and I will write upon him my new name, a great office, a tremendous responsibility that God will give each of us if we overcome. So brethren, understand that, and I hope you can realize the awesome opportunity we have now as part of God's church, as part of the team that Christ is preparing to be leaders, Your call to be a ruler. You are called now to war to be a king or a priest, a leader. Don't be a fringer. Be in the middle of God's church. Be in the middle of God's team. Go all out and you'll be given glory and power and majesty forever and absolute joy. Go all out and be part of God's kingdom. Be part of God's government. Practice God's government now with all your heart.